Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. We meet Lyrica in this book, Cruz's daughter. She is half unseelie and half seely. She has been kept in a jar, but magically given a library to take care of. She has been in the jar for almost a million years and hasn't been let out other than occasional visits from her father. She is accidentally released by Christian and offers to help the group. She and Christian become a couple. We also have some Seelie princesses and a Seelie prince in this book. Their courts are all struggling with civil war now that emotions are returning to the Fae. We meet Azar. He is the Prince of Autumn. He is somewhat rational. As emotions begin returning to the Seelie, he starts to embrace it. Severina, the princess of summer. She is intelligent, but not much can keep her attention. She prefers to focus on enjoying her court. And we have Ixai, princess of winter. She is bitter and is the princess that has fought Max Rain the most. She is focused on destroying Mac and getting her immortality back. In terms of locations, we spend the majority of this book in Ireland and in the summer and winter courts in Fairy. Okay. Marissa, you want to pick up with our plot? All right, so let's start with our plot. I'm going to give a little bit of backstory. So our book is set in Ireland, specifically in Dublin, where the, the walls that separated fairy from the human world have been down for several years now. Our main character, Michaela Lane, was passed the power of the Seely Queen by Aviel, who was the former Seely Queen, in one of the previous books so that she could sing the song of making which prevented these black holes that had been created by the hoarfrost king who was an unseelie big bad guy from imploding and destroying earth and everything uh, but because she sang the song of making that also resulted in the unmaking of the unseelie and so in order to do this to sing the song she had to work together with Cruz the unseelie prince of war who had previously been masquerading as a seelie prince named Valaine. Being that Cruz was unseelie and based on their last interactions, everyone incorrectly assumed that or believes that Cruz is dead. Where Cruz's father, the unseelie king, used his magic to create the unseelie, which were frightening creatures, Cruz has instead been using his time in a chamber suspended at a time to figure out how to use his magic to make his own race of beings seeking to create perfection where his father created horrors. So he has created a new shadow court with perfect beings. And one of these members is called Mazdan, who's the Prince of Dreams who is able to take on the appearance of anyone and manipulate people in their dreams. Okay, so there's some backstory. Um, the Unseelie King up to this point has basically abdicated his power. And so he's just like this nebulous black cloud floating around trying to decide to whom his power will go to, either Cruz, Barons, Ryadin, or Christian. Those are our four contenders. So his little black cloud of power travels around to different locations throughout the book. Okay, here we go. So the book opens with Christian, the Prince of Death in his castle in Scotland, where he has finally figured out how to manage the powers that he has inherited as an unseelie prince balanced with the Druid powers that he was raised with without killing everyone that he touches. And so it starts as an exciting day for Christian because he can finally touch and the, the very exciting part for him have sex with people again, rapidly disintegrates into a bad day. He has been gradually moving books and artifacts from the Unseelie King's massive library to his home. And he accidentally knocks over a mysterious glass bottle from the King's library. And so from this bottle forms Lyrica. So it seems that Lyrica has been imprisoned in the bottle, which held a version of the King's library for the last three quarters of a million years 
and she's never interacted with other people beyond her father, whose identity is unknown at this point, and she refers to herself as the librarian and is eager to experience everything. Back in Ireland, our main character, Mac, has been isolated in a room suspended outside of the standard passage of time, trying to work through all of the information that she inherited when the Seely Queen passed her powers over. It's a lot to process, but in order to rule the remaining Fae, who are notoriously ruthless and cunning and scheming, she must learn as much as she can about how to wield her powers. Her first encounters with the Fae in her role as the Queen resulted in constant attacks on her life. She decides that it's time to exit the room beyond time when she receives a powerful mental message from her lover, Baron, who has been standing sentry guarding her for the duration of her time in the room. And so Barons tells her that her mother is missing and Mac and Barons go to the winter court, which had been the most aggressive in trying to take Mac out as the Seely Queen. Over in the light court, chaos reigns. Ixai, Azar, and Severina, the rulers of the winter, fall, and summer courts, respectively, meet in neutral territory. It seems that when Max sang the song of making, it altered the Fae. Historically, the Fae drank from the cauldron to forget the past. And they, they were also typically very highly stoic, didn't experience emotion. But because of the song of making being sung, that's brought back all of their memories. And so now they're also able to feel all of the emotions, which means they can remember every backstabbing, conniving, destructive thing that they've ever done to each other. And now they also have the emotions of fury and rage and betrayal to accompany those memories. And so all at war has broken out between the Fae subjects in each court. Furthermore, the Fae are now very slowly becoming mortal and will, and will be fully mortal in about 600 years, which means they'll be able to die. This is a disaster and only serves to reinforce, reinforce the hatred of the court rulers for Mac as the Seely Queen. They scheme to depose her to obtain the elixir of life, which will restore their immortality, take away their emotions, and hopefully end the chaos that's destroying their kingdoms. When Mac and Barons arrive in the Winter Court, they stumble into the chaos of a court at war with itself. Mac attempts to fix the Fae, but even with the power of the Queen, she's unable to stop them, so she freezes them where they are. When she tries to breach Ixai's heavily warded gate, she's unable to get past it and while there she receives a message from christian stating that her father is also missing as is danny her best friend infuriated and frustrated mac taps into the true magic the magic of the earth and explodes the winter court obliterating its subjects she returns to ireland and is violently ill disgusted by her destructive actions Barons reminds her that he would follow her anywhere, even into hell if she intends to destroy the Fae, but she wouldn't be able to live with herself and he'd prefer not to, not to descend into hell, so she needs to pull it together. They proceed to Chester's, Ryadin's club, where they learn that Mac's mother was not taken, she was just missing, but her father and Danny really have vanished without a trace. Christian introduces Lyrica to the rest of the gang, but she hedges when they start asking personal questions and only agrees to reveal information when Christian pledges his protection over her. Turns out that her father is Cruz, who is very much alive, and not knowing if they can trust her, uh, Mac asks Christian to put Lyrica back in a bottle until they can figure things out. Mac attempts to sift to her father's location, so sifting is Mac and Barron's return to Chester's, where she attempts to sift to Danny, but it turns out that Danny and her Hellcat Shazam are being held prisoner by the hunters until Shazam can be tried for violating the hunters' rules. In a previous book, Shazam, who Shazam is the Hellcat form, Uriel is the hunter form. Same being, able to sh shape shift. Anyway, Shazam, Uriel, and hunter form had violated the hunter's laws by making Danny into a hunter, and so now the time has come to pay the price for breaking the rules. Mac attempts to sift to her and finds herself in outer space, and she is swatted back through the galaxy to Chester's, but at least they know where Danny is now, even though they don't really have a great way for getting to her. 
Ixai and Azar meet with Severina, the princess of the summer court, who claims to have found the last little bit of the elixir of life that Aviel had hidden in her castle. And there is just enough elixir left for one person. She encourages Ixai to drink it, but as she's the, mo- as she's the most driven of them, and therefore the most likely to find an additional source of the elixir, but Ixai is hesitant to drink it and instead makes a plan to get Mac to drink it. So she arranges a meeting with Mac on neutral territory where they come to an agreement over several factors related to governing the Fae and reinstating the winter court and returning Mac's father. Ixai states that they must consummate the agreement with a toast, but Mac has a premonition of herself being poisoned with the elixir of life, and so she dumps out her glass, which it turns out was poisoned, not with the elixir of life, but with like an actual poison of unending fire that would have burned her internally in endless agony forever. So Mac sifts her father to safety and restores the winter court, even though she was betrayed. And Ixai, indignant that Severina would dare to poison her, returns to the castle in the summer court where she begins slowly torturing Severina. Azar comes to the castle and he kind of discusses or tries to get Ixai to stop torturing Severina, but he also explains that he would rather die mortal with all of the feelings than to live for eternity without any feeling. And he recognizes that living without emotion has turned them into the worst possible beings. Mac and Barons return to Chester's again, where they find a place kind of like apparating in Harry Potter, just moving through time and space, I guess. Um, So Mac attempts to sift to her father's location, and she finds him broken and battered in the winter court. Ixai has poisoned him and is ransoming him in exchange for the restoration of her court, as well as finding a source for the elixir of life, which is the only thing that could save her father now. So it would mean turning him into a soulless immortal. Mac refuses to give them the elixir of life, though it means damning her father, and Ixai sifts away with Jack Lane, her dad, to make Mac's father comfortable. He has been healed to some extent by Baron's who has put him in sort of a stasis that prevents the poison from progressing any further. Mac asks Lyrica to identify any information she can find from the King's Library about contacting the hunter Kavrak, who will be their best bet for finding Danny. Christian and Lyrica return to his castle where they hunt for information. Lyrica is so happy to be able to help, but unfortunately this doesn't last for long. Cruz, having decided that Lyrica has served her role to him to completion, summons her, so she must go. Cruz gives her a tour of his new Shadow Kingdom that he's created to perfection, but Lyrica is very suspicious and with just cause. Uh, Cruz reveals that because she was a half-breed, he has no use for her, and she has no place in the perfect world that he's created, so she has to die. He sedates her and traps her in a tomb of ice. Lyrica is super clever, though. And so before she left Christian, she told him where he could find the information that would allow him to fully come into his powers as death. Christian finds the information, is able to finally embrace his power, becoming the epitome of death to all fae, and his scythe materializes. His affection for Lyrica has grown since he released her from the bottle, and now it's time for him to go and rescue his woman. Mac, frustrated and exhausted by her circumstances, is encouraged by Barons to take a stroll around Dublin as it strengthens her spirit. As she wanders, she begins to notice spider webs everywhere and realizes that there have been a ton of spider webs around recently. And then she stumbles upon a massive house-sized spider web, which, of course, is a trap that she falls into. It's been set by Cruz, whose intent is to brainwash Mac using Mazdan to manipulate her dreams into believing that she loves Cruz and has always loved him and that Barons is the cause of all of her problems. And it turns out he's been using Mazdan, to, who was crafted from Barons essence and is an exact replica of Barons to sneak into her dreams to share information with Cruz. So Cruz takes her on a tour of his shadow court and Mac realizes that though Cruz set out to create something better than the Unseelie King, Cruz's avarice and greed 
has set him on the same path as the king. Barons, Ryadin, and Christian all travel to the Unseelie prison where they part ways to rescue their partners. So will Christian be able to find Lyrica in time? Will Barons be able to save Mac from Cruz? What will happen with the Light Fae? What about Danny? Who will the Unseelie King's power go to? To find out how the series wraps up, read the book, read the whole series, or you can keep listening. This is your spoiler warning. We we will be talking about all the spoilers, so prepare yourself. Welcome to Literary Quest. This week, we're going to be discussing Kingdom of Shadow and Light by Karen Marie Moaning. This is the final installment of the Fever series, so it's a little different from what we normally do. We normally do a whole series, but this book, or the series is about 11 books long, and we were excited to talk about this book, so we just skipped ahead. So with that being said, it's going to be a little bit difficult for our uh, plot and our character summarization, so hopefully we've done well enough that you guys can follow along. And understand what's going on. So I am going to do the character descriptions this week and Marissa will do our plot. First off, we have uh, something called a she-seer, which is a person who can see through fae glamour. That's just an important side note that we need to know. So with our characters, we have Michaela Lane or Mac. She is our main female lead. At the beginning of the series, she was a regular human from the Deep South, and she went to Ireland to search for her sister's killer, and while she was there, she discovered that Faye were real. She is now 23 years old, a she-seer, and the High Queen of the Fae. She is in a relationship with Jericho Barons. There is Danny, the Omega O'Malley, Mac's friend. She is also a seashear. She is extremely intelligent and has super strength and speed. She is also a shifter and turns into a hunter, which is a type of unseelie fae. She is in a relationship with Riordan. We meet a couple of the nine. They are immortals who were cursed to live forever. They each have a literal beast inside of them. Um, although we haven't met all of them, we have met Jericho Barons. He's the leader of the nine. He looks to be in his 30s and is incredibly handsome. He is also adept in magic. He owns a magic bookshop, which is how he and Mac met. They have a rocky relationship at the beginning of the series, but they push each other to be better. Riordan, he is Jericho's sort of second in command. He ensures that Baron's orders are followed. Um, he's not just an enforcer though. He is extremely intelligent and because of him, the nine have managed to build a business empire, including a nightclub called Chester's, which he owns. He is highly sexual and in relationship with Danny. We also know Lore. He is more of the comedic relief of the nine. He puts on the persona of being a fun loving caveman, but he's also powerful. He was known as the bone crush crusher and was feared throughout the world. Unlike a lot of other Fae books we've talked about, this series covers the differences between the Seelie and Unseelie Fae. The Seelie are all beautiful Fae who are immortal. However, they obtained their immortality through drinking a potion that destroyed their souls. Because of this, they do not feel emotions and became incredibly cruel in order to have a reaction to anything. Also, because they are immortal, every so often they drink from the cauldron of forgetting to forget their memories and start over. The Unseelie are also immortal. Uh, they are sadistic. Unlike the Seelie, they are ugly and misshapen. The exception to this is Seelie royalty. Both Seelie and Unseelie are hypersexual and very dangerous to humans. We have a couple of Unseelie. There is Cruz. He is an Unseelie prince who was created by the Unseelie king. He desires to become the new king and is creating his own shadow court in the hopes that the king will pick him as his successor. He is very self-serving, manipulative, and cunning. He believes himself to be in love with Mac and is obsessed with her. We have Mazden. He's an Unseelie. He was created by Cruz. He looks exactly like Jericho Barons. There's another Unseelie Prince, Christian McKelter. He is the Unseelie Prince of Death. He was originally a human and a Keltar. He, he has a strong connection to the Earth, and he previously protected humans from the Fae. 
He has been struggling with becoming an unseely prince, and he has been unable to accept and master his powers. So Marissa, how did you feel about this last book in the series that has been going on for years? I think, did you start it at the beginning? It's been how many, like a decade or so? How long has it been going on? I didn't start it when the first series, like the first book came out. I started it in PT school though. I started this on one of my breaks from PT school uh, when I needed to not think about PT school. And I mean, I just was captivated. This was what got me back into reading fantasy books after a really long time. And I, I love this series so much. And so I wasn't ready to say bye. I put off reading this book for about a month because I wasn't ready to say bye to these characters. And, you know, if we weren't doing this as a podcast episode, I might've continued to put it off. So it's a good thing that we're doing this, but it was hard for me to get started just because I knew it was going to make my heart a little bit sad. So I love, I had like the happy sads reading this. I really enjoyed it. It was, I guess, bittersweet. I don't know. What did you think? So you're the one who recommended this to me, obviously. Um, so I didn't have like any sort of weight to Must like, be nice. in, in between anything except for this book. Mm -hmm. But I wanted you to read it so that you could tell me if anybody died and if I needed to be on edge, like at all, you know, because mm -hmm. I did that for you with Silver Flames. <laughs> um, but, you know, then we did this and yeah, I think you finished it before me, though. I did. So you could still tell me that yeah. nobody died. Nobody maybe, died. Yeah. None of I mean, died. nobody that we care about died. Right. Exactly. Um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Her writing is great. That was one of my notes in here. Oh, my gosh. So like, good. Beautiful, too. Like, her descriptions. I mean, even just reading her books for that is worth it. Like, she paints such a pretty picture of everything. Yeah. She does. So what did you think of all the changes of point of views in this? Um, I had a hard time keeping up when I first started it. Once, did she introduce several new characters in this book, which is an interesting move to do in the last book in the series to introduce a whole bunch of new characters, but and it worked out fine. It, it, it meshed well with the rest of the story. But it was a little bit confusing at the start. Also, because at the start, we have that prologue. And then we're also having these like dream sequences and journal entries for Mac too. So with each new part, it's like there's a journal entry. Then there's a like a time warp type of like dream thing that's happening. And um, so it was a and then new characters. It was a lot to process initially but I don't know after a few chapters you kind of it's it's a little it gets easier you know what's going on a little bit better so yeah I did appreciate she put a pronunciation guide for all of the new characters and, and unique words at the start of the book instead of the end and I love that. And I could kiss her for doing that because I bookmarked it and referenced back to it many times. I like that. Good job. Other authors, please do that. What did you think of, of the time or the, the perspective changes? I was so confused when I started this book because it starts off with like an alternate timeline thing, but I didn't remember that. I was like, did this happen? This is not what I remember happening at the end of the book her last book what did I miss I was super confused and it took me a while to get into like the point of view changes because I've she's done that but I think she's only done that in like Danny's books mm -hmm. I don't think she's done it in any of Mac and Baron's books and there was there were a lot of them there were there were a lot of them like and four I, or five different perspectives to yeah yeah I mean it's a lot and I know if this if this had been like the start of a series or anything like that and there were that many point of view changes I probably wouldn't have gotten into the series mm -hmm. because that's a lot um yeah. I ended up 
liking it. It was just also along with the point of view changes, the tenses change. So it would go from being like third person to first person. And now is that kind of took me out of it a couple times. Because um, yeah. it was always from like Max, whenever it was Max's point of view, it was I, me sort of thing. And then any of the other characters, I think any for any of the other characters, it was he, she, you know, he, yeah, she, from their point of view. But I liked being able to see it was necessary to the storyline. It was definitely necessary to the storyline because so many things were happening simultaneously, but in different places with different characters, you know. So you had to see it for it all to come together. Yeah. Cruz is such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Like he's evil, yeah. but he's one of our more compelling um, villains. But you want to hear something funny in terms of like um, how I visualize things. Mm-hmm. I know that he does not look like this. But let me tell you how I envision him. Okay? Like Cupid. Cupid? Yep. Short like, little dude. Little cherub? Yes. And little na- ba- naked baby with wings. I can't help it. That's Mickey, what? <laughs> I have to envision that. But like he wasn't a baby. Like it wasn't like he was a baby. He was... Oh gosh. He was like a, a man, just like small and with wings, like, you know, that sort of shape. Oh, heaven. I don't, I don't know why. Weird, Vicky. <laughs> I have conflicting feelings about Cruz. I want to like, I mean, I want to like him, even though he's a rapist and definitely doing the stalker thing right now and the obsessive you know boyfriend thing and just overall he's a a murderer and a bad person I don't what is it about the bad guys that I just I just want to fix them and make them better I don't know I felt the same way like I felt bad for him like I know he's a so um one of my notes so I took notes on my phone um a little bit for this one was um Cruz he's so cunning and smart like I like him and then I remember that he like raped Mac which I had forgotten about and then I was like oh right he's a rapist yeah but I still I mean he's a bad guy he's bad (laughs) he is a bad guy there's no amount of that but he's it's interesting to me because his idea behind his um shadow court right he wants yeah creating like beautiful unsealy right he's giving them choices yes uh, so it's just so conflicting. it's it's conflicting and it's it's sad you know I think we can tie the way that he is to his his father his interactions with the father the way that he was created or birthed by his father and his father's magic and the way that his father used his magic and so he's he's trying to be better he's trying to take the the grief and the um, horror that his father created and use the magic for something that is good to make a, a court that is beautiful and not fearsome and not super destructive. But because of his nature, he can't allow his new court to have the, the freedom or the control that, that they really want and that he wants them to have. He just can't do it. And so he starts out with these great intentions, but because of how he is, he ends up following the same path that his father, who he hated, followed. Okay, so in the last book, in order to get his half of the song of making, right, where Mac had said, if I met you first, I may have loved you. And if I had loved you, maybe you would have been different Mm -hmm. or maybe you would have changed. And he kind of clings to that. He does. And that makes me so sad. It makes me sad too. That and that's what is sad. Like he wa- uh, He goes for. Uh, he wa- uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to say this, not really being sure that Unseely are capable or he is capable of this type of feeling. But I think he wants to be loved. 
I think he's jealous of the affection that Mac and Barons have for each other. And so it turns into him wanting to be worshipped and to be all powerful and wanting Max power. But I think it starts from wanting to have the type of relationship that they have that she has with Barons. Does that make sense? Do you get that vibe? Yes, I 100% get that vibe. I completely get that vibe. Yes. I mean, that's, and that's what, that's part of what draws the Fae to humans um, in the first place is that they experience emotions so strongly. And Mac, even though she's no longer totally human, she still was raised by humans, has that human element and still has that, oh, that big, ridiculous emotional response that we have. And so that's appealing and that draws him and. Oh, it makes me sad for him. Yeah. I don't want to feel sad for him. He's a bad guy, but I do. I would like a book about Christian. I love his character. I And I have loved his character through the whole series. Um, I loved it when he was introduced. It got a little sketchy when he started turning into the Unseelie Prince. Things were a little... Um, there were some cringy moments in there, but we've had some character redemption and I just love him. And so she describes him as a dark skinned, raven haired, unseely prince with ancient cold eyes, black wings that unfurl to an 18 foot span. Hello, wingspan and trail majestically to the floor. Um, torso bare clad in faded torn jeans and combat boots like that description is so hot yeah i agree i love i've always liked his character and then there are all those cringy moments right mm-hmm. where it became real uncomfortable mm-hmm. um but i like how they kind of, she kind of just like fixed that with a sentence or two yeah and then we just moved on from it yeah it was like, we're going to address this in a sentence or two. He feels bad. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. He says some really great things. Um, and I, I, I highlighted probably half of this book. Like the things that he said and Lyrica said, especially her chapters were some of my favorite in this book. She's outstanding, but he says something that I really liked and I think is applicable for the time that we're in right now. So he says, isolation dehumanizes all of us, hero and villain alike, crave intimacy and connection. I mean, there are just so many studies about the importance of having connection with other people, actually touching other people, um, being nurtured by other people, that, that familial bonding and interaction. There's so many, and I'm thinking specific, what is the one with the monkeys where they, they, they stuck them in a cage with the, the metal or the mesh doll? Oh, yes. Oh, that Maslow. Maslow? Yeah. They love messing with monkeys. Yeah. It's, but I hate monkeys. So, oh, I mean, there are just so many so wrong. <laughs> there's so much information out there about the importance of importance of having connection with each other. And I think that's particularly uh, applicable or resonates really well with this book coming out now with us coming out of a year in isolation with very limited contact with other people like even me as a super introverted person who didn't have to change a whole lot about my lifestyle to accommodate to social distancing and staying at home and all of that stuff. Like even I miss seeing a few people. So I think it's coming out of, and it's been about a year since all of this started here. So I think it's just a, it's a really nice kind of, I don't know, tie in with what, we've all collectively kind of been experiencing for the last year, this comment, so. It's also something I think you don't notice until you have a real lack of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, touch and stuff like that. It reminds me of, oh gosh, that book that we just read. I, well, I think you read it after me, The Craving Kiva. Oh yeah. Kiva. Yeah, the main female lead in that she like hasn't been touched and she just like 
not even like you know isn't necessarily sexual in nature just Mm -hmm. just like any contact yeah it's something that you don't really think about but humans need um just everyone needs yeah like a hug or Mm -hmm. something yeah and that's what that's what's nice with Lyrica pulling her character in is she has she's been held captive in a bottle for almost a million years and has never been touched by another being hasn't had the only interaction she's had is her father and so she's finally uncorked and wants to feel and experience everything mm-hmm. i can't the sensory overload, first of all, of just being around people after being isolated for so long. Um, and because even Faye, even Faye will descend into madness if they are left in isolation. That's part of one of their punishments. Right. Not, not being that. able to, yeah, if that's one of the ways that they punish. And I think I want to say that they did that to Ixai. Yeah, they Blank did. Um, and that sort of drove her, it was what drove her kind of crazy. Yeah. And she lost power. Yeah. I also like when uh, Lyrica propositions Christian and he's insulted. I thought that was so funny. He So she wakes him up from sleep and is like, I want to have, can we say sex? Yeah, just say it. Okay. She wakes him up and she's like, I want to have sex. She's read about it She's and she wants to do it. And he's like, he is indignant. And he says, that just downright offends me. A drunken woman without a smidge of seduction offering not one ounce of romance is demanding I have sex with her minus all foreplay. You can't just perch naked in front of a man, demand sex and expect to get it. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Like, first of all, where can I get a Christian? And then second, like, do men not act like kind of like this sometimes though? Yeah. Also, if you sat naked in front of a man and demanded sex, you probably would get it. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> but it, I think you would. <laughs> but I... part of the reason I love Christian is so he even says like the romantic in me even though he goes and like picks up girls at bars and stuff so he doesn't really like it's not like romantic like that he wants some sort of emotional connection with them too yeah even if it's just something so oh Christian I love Christian I love that Lyrica she shows up and her form is Mac and Danny Mm -hmm. (laughs) Poor Christian. That made Poor it even Christian. worse. Yes. She is one of my favorite characters yeah. in this book. Um, I'm glad that she was introduced normally. We got introduced to a lot of new characters. Like you said, normally they don't do that in the last book. A lot mm. of times it doesn't happen. But I'm really glad we got her. Um, yeah. Especially because she likes to break the fourth wall a bit. So she references being in a book and what she would be like, like what character she would be in a book. Mm-hmm. And she notices that she's part of the main adventure, right? So she's a main character sort of thing. She's not necessarily a side character. And then she starts thinking about all the things that have happened to her. And she's like, oh, that is everything that makes up a hero. You know, I'm one of the heroes. And then she thinks, well, actually, this is also all the criteria for a villain, too. Yeah. So she meets both criteria and she just has some great lines. Like she's just wholesome. Mm-hmm. So this is one of my favorites. Goodness. What a day this is turning out to be. I'm making friends and being found interesting. Yes. I love that. Like she's just so happy to mm-hmm. be social. I don't know why they didn't make use of her like immediately. Yeah. She knows like she shows up and Mac is like, no, get rid of her. And it's like, she knows everything. Yes. Like everything that she's been, other than like, I guess, because Cruz, um, you know, took out everything about himself um, out of all the books. But otherwise she knows everything. She could be so helpful. And they're just like, no. Yeah. And I understand they don't trust her because, you know, she is Cruz's daughter, but he kept her in a bottle for million years almost like yeah you can trust her yeah i know 
I felt the same way. It's like you have a literal library at your hands. Mac just spent 200 years in a time warp trying to figure out how to use her powers. You have someone that's been in a library for the last, I don't know, 750,000 years and you're not going to use her? That's a waste of resources right there. Y'all need to be more pragmatic. Like even if you can't trust her, use it. Like the Fae are notorious for their their deals and their binding words and all of that. Like make a deal, bind her. Make it so that she can't betray you. There's not a better resource out there. I know. And Max like put it corker, put her back in the box. Come on, (laughs) dude. And then they finally do. Like finally, she gets herself cat. Well, she doesn't get herself captured. But Cruz comes along and takes her away. And then, oh, I felt so bad for her when he encased her in ice. Mm -hmm. And then he thinks he's like doing her a favor. Yes. See, that's what I mean about Cruz. He's like. He's like, no, I gave you life, you know? Yeah. And I gave you a library. I let you read all these things. But you don't look like I need you to look like. So, bye. What did you think of the new characters? I really liked Azar. Yeah. He came to terms with losing his immortality and but keeping emo- like getting to keep emotions and I highlighted this and I'm going to read it it's kind of a somewhat long pa- passage but he says I rage at the loss of my immortality but I now know the price I paid to gain it we lost emotion in such slow degrees that we scarcely felt what we were losing bit by bit we numbed grew more hollow incapable of being filled I want two things of life however much of that remains to me to feel all emotions again not merely the shallow impressions we managed to achieve through increasingly convoluted machinations, genuine emotion, no matter how torturous or seemingly unbearable. I love that he has sort of this self-awareness of what they really lost when they got their immortality, but Mm -hmm. lost their souls. And even though everything's, some of it's so painful getting these memory back, these memories back you know because he loved Ixai and when he betrayed her it wasn't him betraying her because he loved Severina you know it wasn't anything like that he betrayed her for power and he lost part of his soul where if he hadn't if that hadn't have happened he probably would have stayed with her yeah and I just love that. And it also brings me about, I don't remember which character says it, but it's something along the lines of um, without sorrow, how can you appreciate joy? Mm-hmm. And that it, make, it kind of brought that together for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of relatable. Not certainly not to the extent that they have numbed themselves to their emotions, but For me, I've had to work really hard, particularly in the last year, uh, on allowing myself to feel things that are what we would consider maybe negative emotions or just like to be vulnerable. I've had to work really hard on allowing myself to cry if I feel like crying or be sad or feel even depressed a little bit. I mean, to feel those things instead of just avoiding them, which is what I did for a long time with the books that I was reading. I was um, reading to escape and avoid instead of coping with things that needed to be dealt with. And so I like that he has that, that emotion, that realization that emotions are, are powerful and valuable. And just because they're not always comfortable, doesn't make them bad. So talking about emotions, I guess let's sort back into this a little bit. Um, Mac gets very upset when her father is captured naturally. Mm -hmm. And she goes to the winter court and she's furious and she gathers all of this energy, right? And this magic and ends up just completely destroying the court, right? Mm -hmm. Which I am a big fan of things like that. (laughs) (laughs) I am a very big fan of burn it all down. I often think that's fun. I like to see the chaos that that brings. It's great. Um, That doesn't really, she fixes it. Um, (laughs) 
but Baron um, kind of, so she when she goes in being like, I want to destroy the court and he talks her out of it and she's like, oh, okay, I guess I won't. And then she ends up doing it anyway. Um, but I thought it was kind of hypocritical of him because in his chapter, he says about for them to stay together, I will destroy civilizations, raise worlds, turn back time, shatter the very fabric of existence. And, you know, so it's a little bit hypocritical, but also, oh, that line. Yeah. So hot. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know, you know, he's he tries to talk Mac out of like doing this whole destroy everything because Mac will feel bad. Mm-hmm. But it felt a little hypocritical too, considering he was like, I will destroy everything to be with her. Yeah. I could see so. that. But like, oh. I mean, I think that's a different context from the situation that like he's saying that in the event of them being separated or her being injured or whatever. And I think when she wants to destroy the, well, yeah. Well, no, she's being separated so, from her from family. Her dad. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You're right. I agree. <laughs> Although I just caught this turn back time. Like share. No. Okay. If I could turn back no. time. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> No, so at the end of the book, she asks Matt or she Mac asks Baron, right? Mm-hmm. Did he turn back time? Were those four alternate universes things that actually happened that he was able to go back in time and fix until they got the correct results, right? Yeah. And I just realized that that's in this quote. That he would turn back time, shatter the fabric of existence. Okay, so that brings up the question at the end of the book. Did Is that what happened? I think so. You think that's what happened? Like Matt started messing it up and Baron's just like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to do this one more time. <laughs> I mean... I wondered that when I got to it because she's questioning him like, is this what happened? Did you do this? Is that what this is? It's hard to know because she does have that like premonition ability. Is that actually what happened? Did he did he actually turn back time? I think he did because she mentions several times that her premonitions aren't like super obvious. Mm-hmm. And these dreams or premonitions that she's having are so vivid. Like they actually happened. And Baron's being there and like fixing it every time. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I bet he turned back time especially now looking at this quote everything that he lists in here is something that's he's capable of doing destroy civilizations destroying the world um, altering the fabric of existence why would turn back time not be something that he'd be capable of doing yeah I mean that's fair you just groundhog day it until you get it right yeah huh. interesting Their conversation at the end of the book is really interesting, too, because she starts talking about how, you know, when they first started in their relationship, he was super pushy and bossy and he was telling her what to do constantly. And there was so much conflict and she was super resistant to it. And in this book, he kind of took a a little bit more of a hands off approach with her. Like he offered support when she needed protection, when she needed it, gave her counsel when it looked like she was about to blow up the winter court and maybe that wasn't a good idea. But he did. He wasn't like our typical bossy barons to Miss Lane. And he's kind of been making that transition in the last few books. Part of that makes me think maybe he's not being that bossy because he is like having to constantly turn back time now. <laughs> he's... he's just tired. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I meant more like because he has to keep turning back time he's realizing maybe the better way to deal with that <laughs> is more what I meant you Hands know off. yeah okay maybe that's what he was <laughs> learning from his constantly having to reset maybe the issue was him and not her why is why do you assume it's her why is she <laughs> yeah, the problem maybe it is him just because she's always the problem <laughs> she is always the problem <laughs> <laughs> she does so many things and I'm like mac she sees that she goes on first of all okay uh, when this happened in the book I was like really 
So when when they get back and Mac is like is trying to figure out what to do next, right? Um, they're trying to make a plan for retrieving Danny and all of that stuff. And Barons is like, "Why don't you go take a stroll?" And she's like, "That's a good idea. I'm gonna do that." Do you? Can you? No. Matt Barons. Barons does not say, "Why don't you go take a stroll?" Mm-hmm. That Barons Barons would not say stroll. That's not a that's not a Barons word. He, without him, yeah, why I was gonna go say. take a stroll without me. Like, no, he's been by her side for the last I don't know two years. He's not gonna. That's not a thing. It's like first of all, really Mac. But then she goes for a stroll, and she runs into this house sized spider web. And instead of running away from it, just gets really close to it. And then she smells it. And guess what? It's a trap. And I face palmed. Like, really? <laughs> really? Really, Mac? Yeah. I had some issues with Mac as a character. <laughs> so I go back and forth on how I feel about her because. We've seen her now through nine books dedicated to her. And I we've seen growth. It's not that we've not seen growth. She has come a long way from where she started, right? She has improved pretty significantly. But I feel like after nine books with her, I still feel like she can't think critically. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which is disappointing to me. Yeah that she can't think critically especially she's surrounded by people who do think very strategically who are very smart who are very critical thinkers you know yeah these are the people she's surrounded by even you know danny who's she comes up with a plan for what she's gonna do Mm -hmm. um and mac is just very reactive yeah to what happens to her um so i have conflicted feelings because i know you know she's still she's not like a bad character or not a strong character for that i just wish we had seen more of that sort of critical thinking development with her too mm-hmm. and that would have been something really cool to see with her yeah to see her make i mean i don't know i guess that's part of the charm of her character though is her making those stupid mistakes i think part of that is just going to go back to the way that she was raised and her youthfulness in the life that she had before she came to Ireland. Because Danny is a lot more capable of critical thinking. Danny's super smart. I think she's probably smarter than Mac. What not really yeah. Anyway, but if we look at the way that Danny was raised compared to the way that Mac was raised, vastly different. Danny was caged as a child, not ever knowing if her mother was going to come back, when she was going to come back. Um, and so she had to develop those survival skills, those planning skills, the critical thinking skills much more uh, rapidly or a lot earlier than Mac had to. Mac led a charmed life up until this point, up until she came to Ireland. And so I think some of that is just going to be related to the difference in the, the life that Mac has led compared to the other characters. And so she has made a bunch of growth. She can think a lot more critically now than she could before. How did you feel when Cruz died? I I was underwhelmed, I guess. Yeah. I feel like it could have been more dramatic. I would have liked Mac to have killed him. I know. You know? I would too. Yes. I think that would have been I we I think that would have been a compelling plot point or an exciting plot point. It's I was just, Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you did. It was just uns- I, it was just unsatisfying, kind of anticlimactic. You know. Yeah, it, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. I felt that too. I was disappointed in Max' acceptance of Cruz raping her again. Um, when she, when she talks about how she'll just, she, because 
I mean, he tells her that she's going to have sex with him or he's going to start harming her family and people that she loves. Um, and she's just, okay. She like instantly jumps into how can I compartmentalize this, which is a good way to protect yourself, I guess. But the theme in this series has been hope strengthens fear kills. And to me, in that situation, it was uh, Matt giving up hope again. And I I was just, like, when that happened, I made a, a highlight and a comment and my thing, like, oh, Mac, where's your hope? I mean, it. she may not, and in that moment, she couldn't use her powers and she had all of this stuff going against her, but she... She maybe could have thought critically or something. I don't know. It was just, it was kind of disappointing. I would have liked, uh, I would have liked something a little more um, dynamic to have happened with Cruz's death. I felt like everything after Cruz's death pretty much just all of a sudden was really rushed and uh, like that. And then the book was over. Right. Because it was also then. But the very end, you know, they all decide what they're going to do, right, with the um, uh, courts, right? They're going to give them the, let them drink from the cauldron of forgetting and, um, you know, reset them, basically. But we never actually see, like, we didn't see any of it happen. It's just be like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix the walls and I'm going to, you know, give them the cauldron of forgetting. Okay, book over. Mm-hmm. And then we had the what three epilogues, which thank goodness, because yeah. otherwise I would have <laughs> like, excuse me. Yeah. So I feel like at the very end, by the, you know, after Cruz's death, we got a lot of telling and not showing. Yeah. Um, which was kind of disappointing because those were some, I would have loved to see like Excise reaction to finding this out. You yeah. know, that that's what she was going to make them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had all of these new characters introduced. And then it's just kind of like, okay, this is what happened. We go through all of this, like, development with them. And, and then it's like, okay, they drank from the, the cauldron. And now I like, <laughs> they drank from the cauldron and that's it. hard reset that reminded me of the it crowd when i got to this is like (laughs) have you tried turning it on and off again exactly that was yeah (laughs) that's a good point unplugging it and plugging it back in okay well i guess i guess that's what we're doing (laughs) yeah anyway (laughs) so it felt like the end of the story if those epilogues hadn't been in there it would have been a really, I think, disappointing end. Yeah. I liked the epilogues. I was very appreciative that they were in there. Yes, they, exactly. They, they were what wrapped up the whole story. So that was that was good. What did you think of Danny's storyline? There wasn't enough Danny. There wasn't. For me. She was barely in it at all. And she's such a strong character. And she's such an optimistic character you know and she's in there for like i mean how many pages did we get devoted to her like not 30 maybe we get 30 pages maybe that for her i just felt like they that we could have done more for her especially because she's she's just a great character um let's see i have a quote by her i think somewhere in here about sleeping okay yes so i wanted more danny so this is what she says i just resent sleeping it's time killed countless aborted minutes strung into hours during which you could be doing something bodacious and amazing i don't agree because i mean sleep i like sleep (laughs) but i love her attitude of seize every moment do something amazing Mm -hmm. in you know while you have it she's immortal or she's going to be immortal but she still manages to hang on to that do something amazing that's a great 
type of person and to have around you. Yeah. And she's just, we could have used her in this book. Yeah. Could have used more of her in the book. All right. So let's talk about our quotes, I guess. Um, I have a lot because I actually just found one that I want to do in here too. <laughs> let's see. I think you may have picked one of mine here. All right. We're just going to go over like this whole book. Hey. <laughs> so the two of the ones that I wrote down are, if you aren't the thunder and you aren't the storm, someone else is leaving you a fragile leaf caught on the biting, chilling, killing wind of another's making. I find this interesting because Mac, this is Mac saying this or thinking this, when she's not really the thunder or the storm in this book. Um, but she has all of these thoughts that are really wise, which was very interesting to me. So, cause the next one I picked was at the best time is the great leveler sweeping us all into coffins. Time is neither scalpel nor bandage. Scar tissue is merely the wounds other face. And then I had it's all about the stardust of which each and every one of us is made. We hold limitless possibility for creation, evolution. Everything is inside of us. And if we bring forth the best of what is within us, it will save us. And then Max says this. She says <laughs> about barons and all of the other winged creatures, fellas that we have. What is it with humans and tall, dark, dominant men? I mean, truly, I would like to know because that's a thing that I am into apparently based on the books that I read and the Facebook groups that I'm part of about these books that I read. <laughs> and there's just something about a tall, dark, morally gray, dominant man. That's very appealing for some reason. And if he has tattoos and wings, well, like, okay, let's go for it. <laughs> Why is that like the dream? <laughs> person wings dark and dominant handsome doll whatever somehow that became how did how why why did this become like what is it I don't know I have are those your quotes yeah okay I have two more but this is for one reason why we didn't talk much about why barons is great like their relationship I always feels kind of weird like I'm always sort of on the fence with barons because he's very reserved yeah a lot of times so this isn't actually said by barons this is said by Mazden, um his lookalike at unsealy it's you know whatever <laughs> did you really think there was any version of me you could create in any reality in any universe that would not first foremost and forever be loyal to michaela lane <sighs> I know. I loved that. I highlighted it on my Kindle. And he also says, oh, ye of little faith, why would you run? Do you still believe there's any incarnation of you I wouldn't want, wouldn't go after, determined to share a life with to the ends of space and time itself? Ugh. Oh, man. I love barons. Okay, so a- any final thoughts? Um, I'm sad it's over. And that we don't have another fever book to look forward to. But I think that the author wrapped up all of our plot points really well. Um, I feel like parts of it were rushed through. And I wish that we had been able to spend more time with certain characters. And I would love for us to have more books about different characters. But I I was happy with the read. And I'm sad it's over. What about you? What are your final thoughts? I am sad to be leaving the Fever series world. I would like to spend more time in it, get to learn more about other characters. Um, I, you know, she spent so long on this world. I doubt she's going to do any yeah. spinoffs. And I certainly don't blame her. I probably wouldn't want to <laughs> yeah. um, either. It's a long time. Um, but I was... I wasn't disappointed in the book at all. Um, so I enjoyed it. I wish, I do wish there was more, 
not necessarily more of Mac and Barons because we got a lot of them. Yeah. More just of that world. Just more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that wraps up um, our episode on Kingdom of Shadow and Light. That was the last book of the series. So I highly recommend, and I think Marissa recommends as well, reading the whole series. It's, it's really an excellent story. Mm -hmm. Characters are great. So next week, we are going to be talking about From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armantrout. And I, for one, am incredibly excited to talk about From Blood and Ash. It has got to be one of my favorite series. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.